Oh, peace be with you. I, um, as, as Pastor Eric said, yes, I just really quick want to give a couple um, encouragements to you. One, um, baptisms. Some of you, if you're following Jesus, whether it's been a week, a month, a year, or 20 years, whatever it is, and you haven't been baptized, let me baptize you. If you don't want me to baptize you, I will ask another pastor to baptize you. <laughs> Um, but we're going to be doing those uh, in the coming weeks, and so you've got about two weeks to let us know that you want to be baptized, and um, some of you, I know there are folks in our community that um, probably are wrestling with that calling. You've got that calling on your life. Step into it. Um, I understand that for some, it's a fearful thing. It was for me, too. I'm a strange pastor because I, I actually, even though I was raised in the church, uh, I tease, like I was practically birthed on to the church stage. Uh, I didn't get baptized until much later in life. It was just not something that was communicated to me clearly. And, and I mean, I don't feel bad about that. Um, but everybody's got a different journey, different story. And baptism is just always a celebration. So let us celebrate you. Um, let me dunk you and raise you to new life. Um, even if you've been following Jesus, like I say, for a long time, sometimes it's just something for you to say, yes, I've done this, to stand and, in front of people, and then let me or one of the other pastors hug you soaking wet. Uh, please, nothing pleases me more. And, uh, or your, you know, your spouse or your friends can be up here and celebrate that. So reach out to us quickly uh, in the next week or two so that we can just sit down with you and encourage you in that process and hear about your journey and whatever that is. You're not, you're not going to be given some exam, so let yourself take a deep breath. Um, but pray about that. Uh, I know there are folks here that, that need that in their life, and so let us baptize you. All right, the other thing is, is just I, I occasionally will all get up here and let you know of a financial. Uh, I know in January, at the beginning of January, I kind of gave us an update. <clears throat> our church is doing well, but we are down 20%-ish in, in terms of our budget. Um, it's been such a strange few years. You know, we lost so many people over the kind of the two-year-ish pandemic phase of life. And um, you, guys have been, you guys have been faithful, and we're fine. And the finance team here, which I'm not a part of, and so I don't see people's giving, none of that, which is exactly how I like it. And, uh, but, you know, they keep me and the other pastors updated. And so, um, you know, we've, we've got savings and we're, we're, we're still paying all of our bills and all of that. But it is at a point where we're trying to forecast out the year, which is a difficult thing for that finance committee to do. And as they look at the year, like if, if we don't see the trends, you know, move back towards where we were, um, we will have to start making cuts in terms of our just our spending in our ministries. And if you have questions about where the money goes, we're transparent about that. I mean, you know, we, it's, but for us in terms of, you know, paying for the building, paying for our staff, paying uh, for our, our, our groups and our mercy work in the community, all of that just, it, it gets, it'll eventually, it'll get affected. So, you know, just being totally honest with you about that, if you have questions, come see me or come see one of the other pastors. Um, but I, I, you know, we've got time. Uh, but these are things that we are planning for, and we will have to make some, you know, not fun decisions because nobody likes to see making cuts. So, um, yeah, so pray about that. I encourage you to, if you haven't stepped into it, so many of you, so many of you just give sacrificially and regularly, and it's just, it's a blessing. And um, some of you 
are, haven't stepped into that practice, that spiritual rhythm yet, I encourage you, please do so. Even if you think the amount that you will or can give um, in terms of where you are in your personal budget, even if you think that that amount doesn't make a difference, it just, it does. And so as a community, let's come together, take care of that. It's a really simple process uh, if you haven't begun that. You can actually just take one of these Connect cards in the seat back in front of you. There's a QR code on that, and uh, you can, it'll link you right to something that you can give, and it's very simple and easy. And so if you haven't stepped into that, do so now or later this week. Talk to your, your spouse if that's what you need to do. All right? Let's, um, we're we're going to be in John 14 uh, this morning, reading that whole chapter of John 14. And so if you've got your Bible, turn, go there. You can stay seated because I'm going to read it all the way through. Uh, it's a, so there, it's a hefty chapter. It's a beautiful chapter. So John 14. Um, and let me pray for us so we can kind of center our minds and hearts on the text this morning. Father, uh, thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the children down the hall and the uh, brothers and sisters down there that are serving and working with them. And Father, we pray for your spirit to be here in this place in a, in a really unique and special way and that you will illuminate our hearts and our minds to hear what you're saying in a new and fresh way maybe for the first time. And may we all be at peace in this place and may we leave this morning in peace. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's always in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, you can, like I said, you can stay seated uh, this morning as we begin our reading. John 14, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through. Here's Jesus speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen my Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you... I, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, 
And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Can you remember, um, if you're sitting there this morning and you're able to reflect on your, form, you know, your former days, can you remember the earliest story of, in your childhood of, of being really afraid? You know, like what was something that really stands out to you? I mean, it's like when you were little, you were probably like, well, I was afraid of all sorts of things. But what's like one of the standout things in your life as a child? Uh, for me, it was the basement, the dark basement. You know, I, 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 can still, I can still vividly remember, it's like as long as, long as the lights were on, I was fine. And I remember, I can remember um, when I would leave the basement to go upstairs, I had to turn off the lights, you know, so it was like all this darkness was behind me. And I can just remember as soon as I would hit the stairs, man, I could just feel it, like something was chasing me. And I would sprint up the steps as fast as possible because I was terrified of that basement. Um, when I was a middle schooler, I remember being afraid of the big aggressive kids um, that love to assert their dominance. Remember those? I see some of you in this room. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you weren't with me in middle school, but you were like that probably, weren't you? No. There was always a couple kids, I, I won't name them, uh, that, that I avoided like crazy on the bus in seventh grade. It's like wherever they, if they were in the back, I was sitting in the front, you know? Um, I, shocker, but I was not one of the big aggressive kids in middle school. 
um, as, high, as a high schooler, I, I didn't fear the bullies anymore. I had an older sister who happened to be also cool. And so I think I was unofficially off limits to um, the big bullies in school. Um, and so, but I, I do remember in high school, a, when I was at that point in my life, I remember being afraid that I wouldn't amount to much. I wasn't a particularly academic kid um, in high school. And so there were, these, there were these cards that went out, um, report cards, and they reflected not someone who was good at academics. And so I remember worrying about that. Um, as a college kid, I was afraid. I was, wasn't choosing a kind of life that Kierkegaard called the aesthetic style of life. You know, the, the, the aesthetic style of life is you, you think of your own life like a piece of art you know, judging it by its beauty. And so, it, you know, I was concerned, am I getting enough adventures? Am I getting enough experiences? Am I traveling to cool enough places? And do I have enough fascinating friends? This is what I dreaded in college. Um, and then and I got into my 20s, and I became acutely aware that I could potentially really ruin my life. And so I remember in my early 20s being just really concerned, like, would I choose the right career? because there's so many options, um, you know, would I choose the right place to live? Would I make a terrible mistake, you know? Would I, would, I, would I be able to find or would I select the right woman to marry? You know, these things, I mean, they, I just, these things flooded my mind. I, now, you might be thinking at this point, man, this guy has been very fearful his whole life. Um, no, you're no different, right? Um, and eventually, of course, I, 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 I uh, got to the, I matured, I grew up, I got over all of these things. I've grown a lot since then, thankfully. And eventually, I've, I've arrived at this place where I don't get afraid anymore. Wrong. Wrong. You know? It's wrong. That's not true. Even today... Not necessarily in this moment, but on a weekly basis, I think for me now at this place, at this stage of my life, I wrestle, I, I, have this, I consistently fight this nagging feeling that I'm wasting time. And by time, I mean, I, 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 I worry, I'm, I'm fearful that, am I spending enough time with my wife? Am I spending enough time with my kids, my two kids? Uh, will I waste time on the wrong sermons for you? I worry about that all the time. Like, you know, not just one week, not just a month even, but even like over years, you know? Like two years of maybe preaching the wrong truths to you and I've just wasted all of your, your time. And these things just plague me sometimes and I have to really wrestle with them. Here's my point I'm, I'm trying to drive home in all of our heads is that everyone gets afraid. I don't care if you're eight or you're 80. You get afraid. I am incredibly suspect of anyone and their self-awareness if they tell me they don't get afraid. If you say that, I just don't think you know yourself or you're not being honest with yourself. Everyone gets afraid. Look around the room. Think of someone in this room you don't like. Do you know what the part about them that you don't like? What's driving the part about them that you don't like? It's fear. They're afraid of something. Or you're like, oh, I like everybody here. Okay, well, think about someone outside of this room that you don't like. 
you know? And many of the things about you that someone else doesn't like, right? The thing about you that someone else doesn't like is it's, the th- it's something in you that you're afraid of that's driving the annoying thing that you do. It's fear. Everybody gets afraid. And sometimes our fears are legitimate, you know? Like, really. Sometimes the fears, like when our bodies fail, you know, we get sick or they get, you know, something's going on with us. Um, these are legitimate fears. Or, 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 or we make terrible mistakes. As human beings, we just mess up sometimes and there's consequences to those mistakes. And we just, we, we're terrified of what happens to us or could happen to us. And sometimes our fears are really absurd. Like, if, you know, like if you really kind of excavate what's going on in you, sometimes if you like put it out there, it, you begin to see the absurdity of it, of what you're actually, it's like, man, I'm, I'm dealing with that at, at this age still, right? Like, some of it's that way, you know, like, sometimes it's just like, you still are afraid that people don't like you or that people don't need you enough, right? One of the standout features in Jesus' final conversation, which is what we've been exploring throughout this Lenten season, is that you know, one of the standout features of this final conversation with his friends is how attuned Jesus is to our fearful nature. He's just so attuned to it. And what hopefully you've noticed is instead of lecturing or minimizing these guys or, or, or somehow like leveraging their fears in some manipulative mark, marketing scheme, like grabbing hold of it and then, you know, instead of all of that, he draws them out and he comforts them in this scene. But, but I want, what I want you to reflect on this morning as you digest chapter 14 of, 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 gospel, of John's gospel is how Jesus doesn't sell us some new savvy technique. Um, he doesn't sell you some coping mechanism like, like the latest pop psychology book that has an acronym and six steps to your better life, Right? Half of you in this room are probably reading one right now. Which, by the way, so I read them too. Some of them are really helpful. But this is not what Jesus does in terms of addressing fear. What Jesus offers is profoundly simple. It's profoundly simple. Not easy to live out, I I, I would say. But it's profoundly simple. It's profoundly vulnerable. It's profoundly intimate. What he does with people's fears is he simply speaks into it by offering his presence. He offers, like, his, his promises are in here. He, he's simply offering his, what? His love. In short, what Jesus does when people are afraid is he gives himself. He gives a committed relationship. And he speaks into a committed relationship. That's what he thinks you need when you're afraid is his committed relationship to you. If you're familiar with John, the author of this here, both his gospel that we're reading right now and and his pastoral letters that are at the end of the New Testament, um, if you're familiar with those writings of his, you'll see that this is a primary message of his, that to be human is to be afraid And Jesus' love dispels that fear. Jesus' love dispels that fear. You know, we're in this series called Loved. And we're just exploring the love of Jesus. Pretty simple, straightforward. 
not all that really clever about it, but I actually think it's so desperately what we need to come back to the basics. We're just exploring the love of Jesus so that our hearts might enter into Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus, and Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, that's where we're headed. We're trying to prepare our minds and our hearts for that. And we're trying to explore the love of Jesus in such a way, like in a fresh way, so that when that Good Friday and that Easter come, that it hits you in a new one. I mean, how many Easter's have some of you sat through? It's like you're, you're probably just thinking about the outfit that you're going to wear and the lunch plans that you're going to have. I want us to have some kind of experience on Good Friday and Easter that's fresh and new. And it's not tied to your outfit or your lunch, but that it leads us into like, we, we actually as a church lean into this crazy thing called repentance. And the only thing that drives true repentance is being loved, not being guilt-tripped or shamed, but being loved knowing that you are so safe and secure and someone so important that so desperately loves you and delights in you and wants you around and wants to hear your thoughts. That's what I want for us. John 14 is a gigantic chapter. Not necessarily in length, but in depth for sure, right? in terms of what Jesus is communicating. And I can't possibly dive into all of it in one sermon, right? So quell your fears. If while you're reading, you were like, is he going to have a 19-point sermon? No. I can't get into all of it. I'd love to someday, but not right now. But I'd like to summarize it, just a flyover, like taking it as a whole. What do you notice about John 14? I think you could actually use John's own words elsewhere in the Bible to summarize this chapter by quoting just 1 John 4, 18, right? Here it is. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's John 14. There's a lot being said in our reading, uh, but if you look at what frames it, like if you kind of step back, if you were to lay out on one sheet of paper and just start marking it up, there's like brackets on it, really. What did you notice at the beginning and at the end of it? Here it is in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus brings it out into the open. And that, well, that word troubled just can mean, that's a word that can mean disturbed, distressed, or confused. And then down in verse 27, he brings it back up. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. So here you have Jesus is not just Jesus has not come to make life easy. Let's get that out in the open. He's not come to give us a crystal ball so that we can predict all of life's curveballs. Shocker, right? He has come to show you how much God loves you and to give you the gift of peace and rest for the messiness of life. He knows that life will be troubling and hard. And he's saying, I'm going to be in it with you and I'm going to give you peace. I want you to have peace for the trials that you face. And the thing about peace from, from Jesus' perspective comes from being and experiencing and knowing that you are loved. Loved. 
Being truly seen, being known, listened to, and understood, and delighted in. You've experienced that lately? Seen, known, listened to. I, sh- I think, I think uh, you remember that book Gary Chapman wrote, Five Love Languages, right? I think he should have added one, being listened to. You know, when I'm like really listened to, I feel so loved. That's what's happening in this scene. That's all in this scene. That's what Jesus is doing. He's seeing them. He's knowing them. He's listening to them. He's understanding what they're going through. And he's still delighting in them, even though he knows what terrible failures they'll be. You know, he says, peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. He knows they're going to abandon him. And when he shows back after the resurrection, you know the first words out of his mouth? Peace. I I haven't changed my thoughts on you and what I want for you. Essentially, in John 14, you have Jesus saying this, whatever your thoughts of God are up to this point, you need to be prepared to have these ideas reworked. He's starting, essentially, I think what's happening here is he's starting a new and unexpected conversation with them. He's starting all over with humanity, if you will. And Jesus is saying, like, look, whatever you think of the Father, here's what I want you to know. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants you to know him, trust him, and love him in ways that you didn't think you could do it. You didn't think were possible. That's what all this talk about the Father's house is all about, which has probably been many, many bluegrass songs written about this, these couple verses. Uh, but, you know, verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is not words from Jesus meant to stir up silly debates about rewards and heavenly mansions. Can we be clear about that? It's not talking about real estate at all. It's talking about relationships. Home is always about relationships. It's all that he's referencing. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a relationship for you. Now, what is the preparation? It's death and resurrection. That's what he's doing. I'm going to go prepare a relationship for you. So I got to go climb up on that cross and die for you. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. That's what he's doing. And the relationship that he's, he's securing up will be your life with God forever in his presence. No matter what your circumstances are today, your future is secure. That's what Jesus is saying. It's what he's letting them know, and I think it's what he's letting us know. Jesus is saying, my purpose is to be completely committed to you. Do you realize that? Yes, glorify the dog. But what glorifies the Father? The father looking at the son and saying, I want you to be completely committed to them. Yes, they're screw-ups. Be committed to them. Don't give up. Love them to the end. That's what he's doing. Whose purpose in their life is for them to be completely committed to you through thick and thin, no matter what? Who? Jesus, the only one. And you might have some great people in your life. No one can be as committed to you as he is. 
And you're being invited to believe this is what God wants. Because God, because God has sent his son, Jesus, right? To show us what he's like. These guys can't possibly imagine that a God could be like this. That's why it's so hard for them. That's why he keeps saying, look at me. What do you think that the, who, do you, who do you think the father is? What did you think he was like? You need to have it reworked, Jesus says. It's hard to believe because Jesus is in the flesh. But it's the step of faith we all must make. Is he truly the Father or not? Is he in the Father or not? If he is, what does that mean? And what does God think about you? What does God want for you? What's so surprising about this section of John's gospel is everyone is dealing with troubled hearts. Did you notice that? Pastor Eric preached last week. Everyone, everyone, including Jesus, 1321, John tells us that even Jesus was troubled in his spirit. The apostles and Jesus are troubled. And now he invites these disciples to not let themselves get too troubled. Now, is this the pot calling the kettle black? Do you want to call Jesus a hypocrite? It's like you're troubled and you're telling me not to be troubled, Jesus. Can we have a conversation about this? It's interesting. What's going on? I actually think Jesus is being compassionate and realistic with us. Fear and confusion is something that will inevitably hit you in this life. But if you know who the Father is and you know what he is like, you can't stay there. You can't stay there. You have to, you have to wrestle with it. You have to work it out in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. Sure, I understand you're afraid. Sure, you visit fearful places sometimes, but you can't live in a fearful place if you know the Father. You know, we like to think sometimes, I have thought this many times, we like to think sometimes that if we had walked with Jesus in the flesh, like the apostles did, we'd be doing an awful lot better. Right? If I saw water come, you know, go to wine, I, I wouldn't have the issues that I have, right? I'd be more sure of myself. You know, we wouldn't be so unsure of ourselves if, in our struggles. I just think that's a pretty weak assumption. Read John 14 again. Look at them. They have seen an awful lot over three years. They've seen miracles. They've seen healings. They've been with Jesus in the flesh. They've seen all sorts of this. And yet they're still confused, <laughs> They're still slow on the uptake. They're still fearful. They're still troubled. You know, if you, it, when you read, if you go back and you read uh, John 14 over and over and over again, which I would encourage you to do, you'll notice there's a rhythm to it. The rhythm, there's a, the, Jesus gives a word and he's questioned with uncertainty. And he answers. And then he, he, he it's like he answers their uncertainty and then he gets questioned again. I mean, it's just the disciples are clearly lost and anxious. Three times, Thomas, then Philip, then Judas, not Iscariot. The rhythm, there's a rhythm to it, and if, if you notice the rhythm, it's like the rhythm is setting the mood. Everybody's so confused. They don't, they're, 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 they're steeped in uncertainty, and they're terrified by it. Why are they afraid? Just to be clear, uh, they're, they're, they've been told that Jesus is leaving, 
and they can't go with him. They, they've been told, they've been warned that there, there will be a betrayal among their ranks and they don't know who. So that's stirring in them. They're uncertain about the fledgling movement, you know, the Jesus movement that they've been so like, excited about. And they're like, what's, what's going to happen with this? Hence Judas' question about the world. Like, are you going to, what, what are they dealing Underneath all of it, they must be thinking, is this going to be worth it, man? Like, if I banked on this for no good reason? Here's the first lesson I think we can take away from this chapter. Jesus isn't troubled by the fact that you get troubled. Like, he's not mad because you get fearful sometimes. That you get confused. That you get distressed, disturbed, afraid. Jesus isn't mad at you because things in life spin you out and you get in the grip of anxiety and fear. He's not mad about it. He anticipates it, actually. He's anticipating their fear and dread in this chapter. He knows it's coming. It's like he's bringing it up before even they do. So you, me, like we're normal people. Yes, can we agree to that? You get afraid. You get you, you, you get afraid in your job. You, you get afraid about your finances. You, you, you get afraid about the uncertainty of marriage. You get afraid about the uncertainty of kids. You get afraid when you get sick. You get afraid when your loved ones get sick. Of course you do. So did every other person that walked before you that was trying to follow and love God. Everyone gets afraid, and Jesus anticipates it and is not mad about it. And I say that because I think it's important. Maybe you have picked up a message in your first home growing up or in some former church or in some former Christian circle that it wasn't safe for you to bring out, no matter how absurd, some of your fears are. Like the real ones, the deep ones. I, as a kid, for me, I, I grew up in what's called like a testifying church. And so people, there would be, and my father was driving it, you know? So I mean, talk about this stuff going on in my head. You know, my, 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 my father was one who would who'd be up there like, does anybody have a word? And I'm not mocking my, my dad, but it would be like, does anybody have a word, you know, that they would like to share? I mean, I, I've logged hundreds of hours as a, as a little guy sitting in chairs and pews listening, you know, to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so stand up and just start sharing. And people would stand up and they would praise uh, God in, in such confidence of what he's done in their life or what he's doing in their life and just sharing all these wonderful things. And, and, and by the way, there's nothing, there was nothing wrong with that and there was nothing wrong with what they were saying and I have every reason to believe that everything that they were saying was true. But you know, sometimes as little people, we pick up these messages, we pick up these stories in, as a child that no one told us. No one said that to you. But you, you, you began to write out a story 
and you started to believe it. And sometimes there are stories that you believe that no, somebody didn't tell you. It was driven by your own insecurity. And so it drove the particular way in which you interpreted certain events. And so for me, growing up in a testifying church, as I sat there and I heard brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so stand up and exclaim all of these wonderful things about all the things that God had done in their life, you know the story that I was telling myself? I'm terrified. I don't have any of those experiences. I don't. I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Like, I don't have that same kind of swag, that same kind of confidence in the Lord. And so what naturally took place in me over time is I buried my fears. Don't tell anybody about that. It's not safe. It's not safe to share your fears. I'm afraid of what I might hear. I'm delighted to say that this isn't the real Jesus, and this isn't how he treats people. The, the Christian author and psychologist David Benner writes about how one of his favorite exercises with people is to ask them this question, so I'll ask you. Imagine God thinking about you right now. God is thinking about you right now. Imagine it. What do you assume God feels when you come to mind? Disappointment, disgust, anger. Do you see any of that in John 14? There is no anger, disgust in Jesus over their fears and their confusion. Now, he questions them. But why is he doing that? He questions them in such a way to draw out their core beliefs about his commitment, his authority, and his power. I question my kids when they're terrified, and I love them to the depths. What do you think of me? Do you not trust me? Do you not think that I want what's best for you? I'm trying to say here that Jesus is the safest relationship for you to express your questions, your doubts, your fears, no matter how absurd the fears sound to you or to other people. And second to that, I would say the church community should always be a safe place to explore and express fears. God help us and God have mercy on us if we aren't creating a culture where people can talk about their fears no matter how absurd they sound. Secondly, I would say this. Although fears are part of the human experience, uh, where there is real faith, there must be real confrontation with fear. There must be. You are not somehow defective because you have fears, but you cannot experience real transformation and change, and you cannot experience peace if you will not confront your fears. It, it just won't happen. You have to confront them, own them, and wrestle with them. Ignoring or posturing in some way uh, because of what fears lie underneath you, isn't living in peace. It's living in a psychological and spiritual avoidance. That's all it is. 
You're just avoiding the pain and seeking the pleasure, and you're not dealing with actually what's driving you. And trust me, everybody around you feels it. Everyone around you. It's why we don't change, because we don't address our fears, the core fears of our life. You're living out of a false story, and you're not receiving the gift of grace that Jesus is offering. Seven times, you can read it, if you're reading in the ESV at least, seven times in this section, Jesus uses the word believe. It's a key word for the whole passage. Starting again at the beginning when he says, let not your hearts be, tr be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. And that just sets the scene right there and he goes back to it over and over and over again. Now that's not the same thing, right? As saying, uh, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in yourself, dig deep, Find your inner truth. I think that's what he means when he says that he's not giving peace as the world gives you. The world says look in. The world says get a strategy. The world says get a technique. The world says breathe, meditate, watch another Disney movie. You know, which I love, all of those things. But this is not what Jesus says because those things don't offer the same kind of stable peace that what he's getting at. The peace Jesus is offering is remarkably different. I'll just rattle off some of the things he's saying here. This is verse 3. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am going, you may be also. Verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all I statements. Look at me, Jesus is saying. What do you think about me when you're afraid? Jesus is not comforting us with specific words to the specifics of our, you know, the contours of our circumstances, the everyday stuff that we deal with. He's getting underneath all of that. He's questioning our beliefs about his character and his power. Essentially, when you put all these statements together, Jesus is saying, look at me. Who am I? What do I think of you? What is it that I want for you? What do you think about that? What is it that you're believing? He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the lover of your soul. He's your savior. He wants better things for you than you want for yourself. And he's asking you, do you believe that? Do you trust it? Do you spend time thinking about it, wrestling with it? What could possibly come into your life that he doesn't know about and has it in some way let come in because he thinks it's going to shape you for good? And some of those things are terribly difficult. Therefore, is it okay for you to get afraid? Yes, of course. It's okay. But if you are in Christ, you must interrogate your fears and your beliefs. According to Jesus, to have real faith in him means to have agency. That's what all the Spirit talks about. According to him, to have real faith in him means to have agency. And not agency in your own power, but agency that comes from him living in you. 
He has empowered you with the Spirit. He says in verse 17, he dwells with you and will be in you. There's faith in you. There's a power in you that you have no idea. And it doesn't come from you. It comes from him. And his Spirit is there to remind you of one primary truth. The God of the universe has moved heaven and earth to love you. To love you. So here's how I think you and I, we can practice and take this agency up. Like, what does it look like in practical form? First, I would say this. Learn to take time to look within yourself and notice and name the fear that you're experiencing. And that might take a bit. I'm not saying it happens in a moment. It might take days, weeks, maybe even a month. Take time to stop. I mean, I, don't, I think par, par, personally, I actually don't think many of us know what's gripping us up in fear because we don't actually ever sit still. That's why I'm part, I'm taking Wednesday mornings for 25 minutes of literal silence, which some of people are like, there's no way. There is a way. There is a way. Force yourself to do it. You might be surprised what surfaces. So take the time to stop, notice, and name. Don't miss the fact that I said name. Name, naming is important. Something that's mysteriously powerful happens when we externalize and we name what we're afraid of. Like, say it out loud. You'll sometimes notice, my goodness, that's absurd. Yes, it is. Look it in the face. Call it out for what it is. Uh, the playwright, G George Bernard Shaw, said, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. We do this in relationships with people. All the time. I do it. All the time. We do it with God. It, we do it with ourselves. We think about things. We mull over things. We, we, we let things percolate underneath the hood. Uh, and we begin over time to think that they're clear to us and that they're clear to other people. When they're not at all. We haven't actually had the conversation. We actually haven't even named it. It's like we assume, oh, she loves, she knows I love her. When was the last time you said it? All the time. Really? Can you name it? You know? It's like, I guess I was just thinking about it. Yeah, you were just thinking about it. Name it. Say it out loud. Learn to exhume these fears from the recesses of your heart with all their absurdity and then just simply name them. I like to say mine out loud. In prayer, like, or, I'll, or sometimes I'll just write them down. It's like all of a sudden, man, once the demon has been exposed, you can begin to mock it and preach to it. It's what happens when it gets out in the light. And it loses its power, man. You cut the head off of it as soon as you name it. So long as it's in the dark, it has power over you. It's motivating you in all sorts of ways. And after that... After like naming whatever is going on in, in you, after that, open yourself up to be, being loved. Like just open yourself up to whatever that means for you and in part to other people. Believe it or not, more often than not, God loves us through the people that he sends our way. And so ask yourself, what, what do you believe? What do you believe about God? It's just a simple question. And then name those things. Say them out loud to yourself. 
Even if the questions invoke answers that are so elementary and basic. You know what? So what that it's elementary? Who's ever become too grown up to hear, I love you and I delight in you? Some grown men in this room will be broken into tears if I just look at them and repeat that over and over again to them. We never get too old to hear that. I love you and I delight in you. That is exactly, of course, what Jesus is saying to these disciples, that I'm never giving up. I'm gonna stay with you to the end. I am committed. I am loving you. I will never stop coming to you. G.K. Chesterton said that the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. I love that. I don't think Christians are unique because they have quick fixes and tidy answers to all their anxieties, problems, and fears. I think Christians are unique because even though we battle many confusing things in this life, we have a God who is absolutely committed and loved us, and it loves us. And I just think that it gives us this kind of stability and peace, even in the midst of chaos. And that's what makes Christianity so wonderful and so unique. And so I pray that you do that this week. I pray you do it this morning, this, in your groups, with your friends, with your spouse, whatever it looks like, and definitely with your God. And so as we come to the table this morning, I will remind you of the thing that we hear each week on the same night of this conversation that we've been exploring, Jesus took the bread after giving thanks. He broke it, right? And he said, this, take this, take, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup of wine after giving thanks, and he said, drink, drink it, drink of it. This is my blood of the new covenant. And what this is for us here is a ritual, just like we believe Jesus gave it to us for that reason. It's a ritual expressing his commitment, not ours, <laughs> but his. It'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. Do you believe it this morning? If you do, and that's where you're at in your, your own spiritual journey, even with all of the missteps and mistakes and the things that trip us up at times, you're invited to come forward and take part by taking a piece of the bread and dipping it in the wine or the juice. There's a station here and there's a station here. But please take the time that you need to pray before you come forward. We love you, Father, and we thank you this morning, and we ask you by your spirit to encourage our hearts, strengthen our weak knees, raise our hands up. May we praise you even when we are weak. May we find strength even when we are struggling. God, make us a church that is willing by your spirit and able by your spirit to begin to excavate and talk about the things that grip us up, that have us in fear, and may we find the peace that you offer. We believe that you do give peace and you offer peace. So may we all leave this morning in peace. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name, amen.